everyone, I'm Angie. And I'm Jess. And welcome to CSA. This is Crime Scene Analysis. We're your one-stop shop for all things Prodigal Son. In our podcast, we're going to be analyzing the new episodes each week as season two airs. We are going to discuss production and behind-the-scenes intel, and we're going to highlight the most important part, the prodigies, the fandom. Um, we have some amazing people in this fandom, and they deserve a little bit of spotlight. So, uh, and most importantly, we are going to completely nerd out about a show that we know and love and love to obsess about. Damn right. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have any episodes to analyze just yet because season two hasn't dropped, but we have only about a week at this point to wait for all that goodness. But we decided to pick and analyze two moments each from season one, which is fully loaded with about 20 episodes of insanity and yes. talk about why we thought they had the biggest impact on the show and all of its characters. All right, let's go. So the, the group of friends that we have, uh, we're all Brightwell shippers at heart, but I'm going to try and be as objective as possible with this. And As, as one should, as one should. <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best. I, I think I did pretty well with this. Um, <laughs> but one of the key points that I think is really important comes from the fifth episode in season one, which is appropriately labeled The Trip. We know that is the episode where Malcolm ends up getting high. Oh, hi, Malcolm. Hi, Malcolm for the win. <laughs> hi, Malcolm. Babysitting Malcolm. Malcolm. Babysitting Malcolm. <laughs> this episode, uh, I think, is really important because there's a key point in here where we really see a connection between Malcolm and Danny, and that happens actually towards the end of the episode. But to set that up, essentially, there's tension from the beginning, uh, not just in this episode, but in the entire first four episodes of the season. There's tension between Bright and Danny, especially. Uh, she doesn't trust him, doesn't know who he is, and doesn't understand why Gil has brought somebody who they later find out is a serial killer's son, brought him onto the team. Right. So, she's pretty defensive about everything. So they show up at the crime scene and they start analyzing everything. Bright is profiling everything from the start because that's what he does and he can't shut it off. But he's also profiling Danny and she doesn't like that, especially because he hasn't asked her permission. Bright's profiling her and the scene from the start because of her knowledge that she has on drug rings in the area. Right. She's still not comfortable with him. Her body language says says all, everything. Her arms are crossed and she has a lot of unhappy facial expressions. Uh, and then we get tension in her language. Bright starts talking about the crime and she snaps at him, get to the point. And then the most important line in that scene is where it kind of just really snaps. And he says, I'm not the expert that you are. And she goes, oh, look at that. We finally agree on something. You're wrong. And her tone <laughs> and her body language is is everything. Right. That, so much tension there. And even afterwards, Gil's like, cut it out. Stop profiling Danny. These kids. Seriously. <laughs> God, poor Gil. Papa Gil. So yeah, so there's tension not only between the two of them, but there's tension between Danny and everybody in this episode because of how close to the case she is. And Gil even tells her that personally. And again, so, that makes me wonder, sorry to butt in a little bit, but like how much does the rest of the team know? We know Bright is clueless about her past. Obviously sure. we know Gil knows about her past. I want to know, does JT know? Does JT know? How much does JT know? Right. Like, was she even on the team when that happened? Did it happen before? And then Gil, like, brought her onto his team 
to try to protect her from doing that stuff again. Sure. I don't know that Major Crimes is doing undercover work. I don't know, but like, there's so much about that that I just want more intel from them. I hope they give us that in season two. Seriously, feed the Please. fandom. <laughs> feed us backstory on everyone. Need to know about, yes. <laughs> Fill in the gaps, please. So, Brett gets high. Danny disobeys Gil and mm -hmm. ends up having to babysit Hi Malcolm. And that's where we get, or we throw axes. Later in the episode, we see the two of them on a stakeout of sorts. Mm -hmm. And right off the bat, the conversation's a little emotional because Danny is giving him some intel on what she found out about Fabiola's death, which we find out Desir, the man who was found dead at the beginning of the episode, he was the one responsible for Fabiola's death. Danny kind of gets a jab at Bright right here. And she says, I was right. SMA wouldn't kill for turf or product. And I had to stop here and actually go back to the top of the episode because she said that the crime was for turf or product. And I thought she contradicted herself somehow, but she didn't because she said SMA wouldn't kill for turf or product. And that was her, you know, she was saying the whole episode that SMA was not the one that did. So. And that was her way of kind of nudge and bright a little that like, was definitely a little jab right she wasn't snarky about the way she said it but she said i was right and right I was like, you don't girl you are not perfect fbi boy <laughs> yeah you tell so she essentially lays out her little profile and bright compliments her and she said i learned from the best and of course malcolm thinks that is him so he said thanks and she was like mm -mm, no i meant gil <laughs> So she goes in and starts talking about, you know, kind of reminiscing about Gil. And she said that Gil told her police work is patience. And Bright picks up on this and said, he used to tell me the same thing. And we learned that Bright was taken out on stakeouts with Gil when he was a kid. And right there, we have confirmation that Gil was involved in the Whitley family's life, especially Malcolm's, when he was a kid. Not just, you know, when he was a teenager in college or anything like that. Right. And here's where we get the most important point that I'm trying to make in this episode. Danny said, I, th I just always thought we were so different. Turns out Gil saved us both. And there is finally a connection point for the two of them. It, there's been tension between them the whole episode and really not much of a connection between the two of them uh, other than when he gets hurt and she's the one <laughs> picking up the pieces of him. There really hasn't been any emotional connection between the two of them. And right there is where they poke a hole in it. We find out, especially from this episode, that they come from wildly different backgrounds. Oh, yeah. Background, especially in this episode. Danny's been apprehensive about him being on the team based on his past and connection to, you know, a serial killer and the irrational decisions that they've already seen him make on the job. And this entire case has been a point of contention between the two. And this line is where they finally break that down. They solve the case. We see that Bright actually in a way lets Danny talk the killer down, which is usually his uh, job, oh, yeah. usually his role uh, at the end of the case, which I thought was really cool. Uh, they solve the case, clear things up. And then we get the other famous uh, line for those of people who are Brightwell shippers in the fandom. That's where we get uh, drink more tea with friends because he's kind of apologizing to her for, you know, kind of invading her personal space or her privacy with his profiling and he's trying to keep a connection with her and honestly just a legitimate new year's resolution like yeah <laughs> true, true. 
<laughs> Very true. <laughs> like, I think with, with Danny and Bright, their lives like could have ended had Gil not been there to not help been around. Right yeah. Bright could have gone down. Oh, I mean, let's be honest. The fact that this man is not already having any kind of suicidal tendencies is just mm-hmm. the stuff he's gone through and the continual trauma and the nightmares and this and that is just insane. Um, And for her, you know, she could have kind of backslid into that lifestyle and ended up, you know, hard narcotics are not easy to wean yourself off of. So I feel like for those two, they realize like we're sitting in this car because of the same man. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that she used the words saved. Yeah. Because we assume that, I mean, it wasn't confirmed by her, but knowing what we know, she OD'd. We all assume, based on her using that word, that, like, Gil was integral in literally saving her life after what happened. I want to know, was it, like, that OD when she stopped? Or was she craving? Was she wanting to go back into it and Gil was, like, her essentially, for lack of a better term, like, a sponsor? Like, someone she went to when she wanted to go back to do and use. Um, But again... That would be some lovely backstory to hear. I'm just yeah. They are prodigal writers. Writers, season two. Uh, <laughs> Give it to us, please. All right. So my first point that I think is an important part of season one is from episode 111, Alone Time, and that is when Mr. John Watkins reveals to our poor chaotic boy Malcolm that his father intended to kill him. Fantastic. Um. I think, I mean, not only does this literally happen at the split of the season, because we only ended up with 20 episodes. So 111 is like the split. 110-111 is the split down the middle. The whole first half of the season is Malcolm focusing on figuring out who the girl in the box was, um, kind of playing and being played by Martin a little bit, and really starting to explore his trauma and the fact that this trauma is building. Like we're getting all those extra nightmares about the girl in the box and this and that and I feel like we still had the girl in the box issues you know all the way up until the finale but I feel like this was a moment where things really turned for Malcolm because it is one thing to know that your father is a serial killer and that is a whole hell of a lot of baggage it is an entirely different thing to know that your father intended to kill you Um, And when you already have just this laundry list of trauma and baggage that you're carrying around every single day, and then you add that on top of it, that's a lot. I mean, that is a lot to handle. And I absolutely love how Tom played that in 111. God, he does so good at this. See, I mean, don't even get me started on the fact that this man should be nominated for an Emmy for the effort he puts into this freaking character. Um, but he just the way you see like the light leave his eyes and the shock and the again he hits all the like denial anger like all of these kind of moments it really hits hardest for me at the end of the episode because you have Ainsley you have Jessica they're all kind of reuniting they're hugging we survived we made it oh my gosh you're alive we thought you could potentially be dead and the you know the two women of the Whitley family are just hugging him smiles from ear to ear we made it through and he looks like a walking corpse physically because of all the physical stuff that went down with John, but also his eyes are just, my life is over. Like it hits hard. 
and you really kind of see like 11 year old Malcolm a little bit and I also feel like that revelation kind of adds to the feralness that you get of him at the end obviously he was willing to kind of kick into feral Malcolm mode to save his family like he's not having his his mother and sister taken down by this evil man but I think at the same time some of that fuel is like for lack of a better term just the effort mentality like he's why not like Mm -hmm. we're not gonna let anyone else ruin this family we're gonna go and that plays such a huge part in who Malcolm is going forward, which is going to bleed into my second point in just a second. But him knowing that Martin intended to kill him completely changes the way he looks at things, especially in the next episode when you look at internal affairs. I mean, he has been mentally just bombarded. It's not just mental. It's not just emotional. It's not phys- just physical. It's hitting him from all these different angles. And I just, I, that was such a revelation. First of all, it was kind of shocking because I was always of the belief that like, okay, he's grooming Malcolm to be a junior Martin. He wants him to become a killer. He, he's taking him out there to teach him how to kill. And And it was, you know, kind of an epic plot twist. Well done on the writer's part to be like, no, 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 no. You were the intended victim. And that's, and at first, do you believe John? Do you know? is John manipulating Malcolm, but it kind of becomes apparent quickly that that is reality. Mm. And I think that plays a big part um, in who Malcolm becomes, which leads to my second point. My second most, well, not second most important, I guess my other important moment of the season is when he stabs Martin and I of the needle. I think that is such a huge decision on Malcolm's part to do so. You can say, well, he knew, they knew there was a secret way to stab someone and they would still survive, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's what he was trying to do. Right. But at the end of the day, the odds of that being successful, which whatever, we'll movie logic it because we cannot lose Michael Sheen. So I get it. He is precious and must be protected at all costs. I got it. But in that moment, Malcolm is willing to become like his father. He has spent this whole season... I am not my father. I am not my father. I'm not my father. And he literally willingly stabs his father and knows that there is a strong chance he is literally going to become like his father and have killed someone in cold blood. And I think the thing that got him over that, you know, over that wall is because there, his, it was either him or his mom. Right. As much as there's, not the greatest relationship between him and him and his mother he will do anything he will do anything to protect both him both her and and his sister absolutely so i and just that whole i mean i could go on for like 45 minutes about the whole oh, trigger yeah. malcolm and all that stuff oh, yeah. but that is not my point today so i will not do that <laughs> but just the fact that the symbolism of the the first time we see a fully steady hand out of Malcolm is when he has a shard to his father's chest. Yep. Martin even notices it in the scene. He was like, hmm, look at that. Don't yeah. have any tremors right now, do we? We've seen him hold something that could hurt somebody before in, in uh, Q&A. He mm-hmm. couldn't get his hand still at all, even though it meant saving Jim's life. Right, and that was a medical tool. 
Yeah. Right. So it wasn't, yeah. I'm going to stab you it with it. I'm gonna, it could still hurt somebody, but it still, and it was going to save someone's life, but it wasn't, you know. It, yes. And then flash forward to the finale where you have Endicott. He's pointing a gun at Endicott who rightfully deserves a shot to the face, in my opinion. <laughs> and he still just tremors beyond all reason. But it. when it is shard to your father's, like to, to the heart, like that's, that's impressive and I really there's just something about that whole scene the way the music plays the without you um as as they're working on Martin and everything like he has literally accepted that there's a good chance I just self-fulfilled that prophecy yeah so he even says it at the end of the episode to the suspect where we don't go around murdering people and even as he says that he like looks down, he looks away from Danny, he looks away from everyone because that guilt is already there. He may very well be a murderer. They don't know that yet. They don't know the outcome of the surgery. And he has chosen to follow in his father's footsteps. And I think that is a heavy weight for Malcolm to wear, like the whole rest of the season. And from that moment, I think that scene in Eye of the Needle really builds to the scene with Endicott. Because you don't know, like, he, okay, we know that if he's willing to stab his own father, then he certainly could pull the trigger on this scumbag. Like, you know, a, there are no, you know, no shots uncalled at this point. Like, he can absolutely do it. And I think had we not had a moment like this before the finale, it would have been a little less intense. Because we would have all went, well, Malcolm's not his dad. Like, that's, sure. whereas at this point, like, no, he stabbed his dad in the heart. He will kill Endicott. Like, we, does he have the guts to do it at this point? Um, and I just, I, I love that. Like, I felt like they took a lot of kind of bold choices throughout the season. Oh, yeah. And that was a moment, probably one of two moments the whole season where I just kind of literally gasped in my chair and like, what just happened? Um, and then of course, you know, the fandom lights up every social media on the commercial break. What has happened? You know, everyone's freaking out. And that's really bold. I, I have an affinity for shows that allow their main characters to to be flawed and that's kind of a very common thing now compared to like your 90s early 2000s shows and he I mean my god is he flawed but I I love that like it brings so much more to the character to show like he has outbursts and he Mm -hmm. is not despite his kind of he has a good moral compass for the most part he has some common sense decision problems in the execution but his heart and his morals are always in line his execution of that are two different things but in this moment not so much like he's martin's on the ground jessica's gasping you know clutching her pearls if you will and malcolm is just cold-blooded staring at him like yep did it and that's kind of the end of it and i'm just like wow (laughs) like i i was not expecting that in any way whatsoever that actually leads really well into what I had as another key point from season one, which um, if we didn't mention it, it would kind of be weird, but uh, hello, Ainsley killed Endicott at the very end of the finale. <laughs> kind of a big deal, folks. Yeah, kind, kind of a big, big deal, deal in terms of Bye, girl. Can't forget that one. <laughs> so we are left off in the last few minutes of the episode with this whole scene unfolding between Endicott, Ainsley, and Malcolm. And it's this insane moment right at the end of the finale, and that's where we left off. And we we are waiting for it to pick back up. 
we had an idea of this going in, but we weren't sure exactly how it would play out. And the title of the episode is like father. So immediately we all assumed that it would continue with like son. But then the speculation of like there was a 50-50 split in the family. Definitely a 50-50. Because like, like there's a reason why they didn't finish that sentence. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. There's a reason they didn't finish it. It kept us thinking for a week or oh, for longer sure. by the time we knew the ep- the name of the episode. <laughs> but as much as I said, yeah, oh duh, it's gonna be like Sun. Hello, this is the Prodigal Sun Writers team, and they already have spent 19 episodes doing some pretty crazy things. So and we didn't even get two of the episodes, which I'm sure had more crazy things. True, true. We're, <laughs> true. That's and that's two episodes missing. Right. So we assumed that it was gonna end with like Sun, and that Malcolm would do something. And the question all season that we had really been focusing on, other than like who's the girl in the box, was is Malcolm capable of being like his father, which Angie already spoke about. And essentially, for the follow up to that is, can he kill someone? and will he do it? So it's kind of like a two-part question. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought of it as, okay, well, we saw that Malcolm is physically and mentally, I suppose you could say, capable of causing harm to another person. Mm -hmm. Does he want to? No. Can he? Yes. So will he do it? Mm, That's what the question we were trying to figure out, or the answer we were trying to figure out when we got into the finale. And for the time being, That question has been answered by Ainsley. Malcolm will try, but he won't actually go through with killing someone. Although, like I said, Angie already spoke about this and there's still, you know, you'd see it a few ways. So Ainsley blacks out, kills Endicott pretty wildly. That was my second time where my jaw just went, (laughs) Yep. Oh, I think I sat in the living room just like screaming at the TV. And then I (laughs) ran downstairs to scream with you guys. (laughs) It was awesome. It was absolutely amazing. (laughs) But, um... Oh, there's my butt um. Get that, get the butt um out, Britt. Butt um. <laughs> and then Malcolm gets a phone call and yeah. Martin is ast- ecstatic upon hearing that what Ainsley did and the signature line from him of my boy now becomes my girl. To walk into the pitch with that. Oh in- yeah, that's true. They walked into Fox and said, my boy, my boy, my boy. Oh, my girl. Oh, well, by the way, my girl. I mean, that is genius. Yes. Definitely. So we've come to see throughout the entire season that Malcolm needs to have control over what he's doing, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. And a lot of the times he doesn't. He is absolutely willing to sacrifice himself in order to protect others around him, his team, his family, and the people that they serve in all of the cases, the victims. If he feels like he doesn't have control, then he feels like he could lose himself and slip into becoming like his father. The line, we're the same, which was uttered to him, uh, when he was a boy, when his father was taken away, are the words that the theme title of the entire show, music nerd moment. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> True. Thank you. We are the same are the words that taunt him and terrify him all season. Mm-hmm. So he's terrified about what happens if he's long, no longer in control. There's some focus that's going to shift with season two because of what we saw Ainsley do. And I kind of like watched it ripple through the fandom, at least on social media, at least in the portion of it that I'm in. And a lot of people were freaking out and it was worrying them. And they were like, well, now if Ainsley did something and Ainsley's like Ma- Martin rather than the Malcolm. Daughter. Yeah. But they're like, is it going to be prodigal daughter? No. 
I had I had read a lot of articles that came out right after the finale. There were multiple articles uh, with direct quotes and a lot of information straight from Sam and Chris, the creators mm-hmm. of the show. And first off, they did confirm that there will be an additional perspective added, which will be Ainsley's right. mess that's been created. They have confirmed that the focus will still definitely be on Bright and the story being told through him. And here's a direct quote from them that I really liked about this that confirmed that was, this show at its heart is Tom's performance, an exploration of a person struggling with the complex PTSD of having a serial killer for a father and all of the things that are attached to that. He's our center, our North Star, we're always building it around him. So they have confirmed that it's not becoming prodigal daughter, it's still prodigal son. Malcolm is a profiler, show deals with crimes and cases he's still going to be the focus but now they've added Ainsley's perspective in and they said multiple times that they can't wait to see to explore her childhood because we really don't learn anything about her childhood which we would have we would have if that's yes, true very true they were going to give that to us. And I'm sure that's definitely one of the things that's going to be lifted out of those episodes and implanted into season Yes, two. definitely. And, and, crossing and my we fingers, saw that in the, the promo. We saw that in the promo when yeah, they when I'm they crossing my fingers for the Michael Raymond James return. As <laughs> yes. I love that man. He is amazing. Yes. And he needs to be back as Mr. Boots. <laughs> yes. And then one of the other key points that they made with bringing in Ainsley's perspective and her childhood and whatnot is that, yes, there's more of a focus on her her psychology now because we've already gotten a lot of brights but there's also going to be a focus on how that ripples out from her and how they not only affect her but not how they affect her brother and her mother and every other person that's around them and what i love about this first of all the plot twist alone was just genius love it yes. um and i love that we're gonna get some more halston like she's yes, a yes. Ainsley is a character I feel like sometimes gets some hate from people like oh she's plain she's not developed well she hasn't had a lot of screen time it's hard to develop yourself when you're not physically there yeah so I'm excited for that I'm excited to watch her kind of delve into this creepy dark psyche of of what's going on with Ainsley and dealing with the ramifications should she ever find out that it was not bright because we've seen in promos that bright tells her he did it not her um And I also kind of love, I felt like we wrapped up the girl in the box stuff at the end of season one. Yeah. The girl in the box stuff, other than just Martin, was the main trigger of so much of Malcolm's night terrors and his struggle and his guilt. You know, I could have saved this woman. I could have saved this woman. And that was gone now, which I hope they still wrap up. We still have to talk about Eddie and whether Mm -hmm. or not. I'm not even going to. So many loose ends. That's a whole nother podcast I could rant about for days. So many loose ends but that is now gone. Sophie's alive. We know what's going on with her. He's agreed to apparently take the fall. However, they deal with that in the new season, whatever that has been wrapped up and we need something to continue to torture the lead. Yep. And this is what's going to do it. Like this is what's going to do it. This is what's going to replace Sophie and continue along the lines of the trauma, the night terrors, the, the lying, the deceit, the things he's going to have to hide from his found family. That is the NYPD that's going to kind of screw with his head. And we need that as much as you hate to see it. You love to see it. 
And he needs it. Like we need that catalyst for him. And it definitely looks like we're taking it to a whole new level in these promos we've seen. Oh my gosh, they're insane, like, man. Just another level of, of having issues. And I love this. I mean, the wumpy love in me is very excited. Um, and just in something I saw today from TV Guide, we are apparently picking up months after the yeah. which we kind of got when we've seen uh, Michael and Tom with the longer hair. I mean, we got JT with the we knew we were not picking up immediately after, but we know that we're not just weeks, a couple days, like we are months down the road. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of Malcolm living this farce. Of months, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get the flashbacks and all that stuff too, oh, but yeah. we're going to pick up in the middle of him just full on living a crazy list of lies all the time. And that stuff weighs on you and it's going to come back to haunt him. It is. Even more so. Definitely. Very excited. I'm just glad the drought is over. <laughs> oh, thank God. No more. I mean, we are getting Waiting. fed content this these past two weeks. Oh, we're we have been scrounging for morsels since what? When do they announce that? May? Gosh, May, yeah. Was that May? Yeah. Here we are, Oof. a whole pandemic and a half later. <laughs> oh boy. Yep, it's a new year. So I just there's so much, and I just I can't I can't wait. Like I'm I'm ready to get back into this mode of right. what's gonna happen. What are the writers gonna do? Because they've they've set a pretty high bar. They're gonna have I to know. keep they achieving, which is sometimes the struggle. I I know I've spoken to you guys about. I kind of have this habit of. The first and second seasons of a show are usually the best that you're going to have because it's a new concept and then they up the ante and then yeah. sometimes it's hard to maintain that like adrenaline Structure, rush for a yeah. show like this. And so I'm excited and hopeful that this is something that we can continue to do, um, yeah. especially considering we started season one with some pretty intense, I think Tom Payne's favorite word is bombastic. Um, about like either that or it was either that or like ballistic or something. Yes. So like all <laughs> they've already set a really high bar for some cuckoo for cocoa puffs moments in this show, and I'm kind of excited because it means where are we going? Like where where could we possibly extend? Gonna... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I just I hope they can carry it through more than you know six, eight, nine, yeah. ten seasons. Yeah. Maintain that intensity, which I kind of think I think they will. You know, every show will have its filler episodes. We've already seen some episodes like that, you know. That does happen. Like, we're going to have the that one happens. episode that's really just mostly a case of the week and we move on. I mean, that's any... Any show's going to have show. That. I mean, my gosh, look at SVU. How many filler episodes do you get in 48 seasons? Seriously. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you still have the overarching, like, character moments throughout the show. Oh, yeah. And that's what any procedural does well. Like if people wanted to watch just the procedural, they would watch the true crime shows about actual crime and how they figured out the reason you come to the fictional procedurals is for the drama of the character building and the, the other stuff as well. All right, folks, that's it for this teaser round of CSA. Like we said before, we really wanna focus on fan involvement with this show and we'll be highlighting a fan each week. So if you'd like a shout out on our podcast, head over to our social media and submit the fan profile form. You'll be able to find that form on our Twitter or our Instagram account, both places we are at podcast CSA. Let us know what you thought about this teaser episode, suggestions, thoughts, comments, um, like and subscribe because then we can keep doing this more often and we're almost there January 12th guys we're close we're close 12 we days made it through the Great Depression as it were 
Um, and we will be back with a fuller, longer, and even crazier nerd out episode once we get that first. Oh, it's all in the execution. Yep. It's all in the execution. It's crazy. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. All right, bye. bye.